Andy, thanks for taking the time to have a chat with us. How are you today? Uh, I'm really good. Thanks, Matthew. Um, it's really good to, to be here. Thank you so much for, for inviting me on. And, you know, as, as I'm sure you are and your entire community is kind of still getting to grips with with the world as it's as it shifts on a daily basis and the craziness that that brings with it. And where are you based at the moment, Andy? Because I think the last time we spoke, you were in the US. So I tend to, to spend half my time in Atlanta and half my time in the UK in Bournemouth, but I've been locked in Bournemouth since March because I happen to be here and my visa type will not let me back into the US within 14 days of being in the UK at the moment. So I'm kind of locked out officially. Um, I have plenty to do back there, but, but no option but to but to sit tight. How are you finding that from a work perspective? Is that causing a, a significant impact on what you do or is it relatively easy to do your work remotely? The the business that I have, what we do, I guess you'd call it kind of creative consumer research and, and early stage innovation work. And actually I started it as just myself. Um, and so, so I worked remotely. I, I just worked wherever I was. And then I started to get a team and we had a small team in Atlanta. But actually, as a, a kind of remnant from the way the company was set up, we were kind of set up to work anywhere at any time. So actually, when we lost our ability to all be in a physical location at the same time, we still had the ability to connect. And yeah, we had to kind of readjust in the way that happened and you know how that was kind of social as well as productive and, and the different ways to do it. But, but the, And it was a transition and it was more difficult for some people than others you know some people really like the structure of having to kind of make themselves leave the house to go to a location and and go this is now I'm at work for eight nine hours then I go home again but others really like the fact that they could just get up they could you know do an hour in bed at six in the morning maybe catch up on emails and then take a couple of hours off go for a walk and kind of and kind of flex into it and I, and I think it's, it's this kind of this individual preference, isn't it? And for me personally, I've always worked flexibly because you know I've, I've kind of worked for myself for a long time. How do you cater for for everybody and make sure that everybody can have that best working experience at any given time? And and I think that's been my challenge over over the last few months to make sure that that's that's the case for my team. How how do you do that? I mean, that's that is the heart of the question, there, isn't it? It's it's not about figuring it out for one person it's not about mandating that everybody works in a certain way because otherwise it's no different to saying everybody needs to be in the office nine to five if you just say everybody now to needs to remote work um equally isn't as as effective how do you go about figuring out what those individual preferences are and and how do you make a, a team gel if those preferences are different? I think it's a, it's a challenge and the most interesting part of it in that you have to see everybody as an entire unit, as the teams they work in, and then as individuals as well. So, so how can you make sure they can congregate and they can share and everybody feels part of what everybody else is doing? And yeah, we're, we've employed some, there's some really good online tools. And all of a sudden, you can share the work you're doing, you can chat about it, you know, now videos integrated into that, you can quickly jump on a video call and, and talk to people and have that that face to face contact. But then at the same time, you know, for example, one member of my team who, who actually lives pretty close to where I am locked in at the moment, was just struggling a bit. So literally, I just went and bought some beer and just walked past his house on my daily walk one day and left it on his doorstep. And that kind of made a difference. And and somebody else I know who lived near somebody else, they wrote a birthday card from the team and just, just went and dropped it off at, at somebody's house, all within social distancing. <laughs> but it, it's that balance of the, the personal touch and, and the professional and making sure that and just, just asking people how they are, you know, because we're, we're all very good at saying, these are the tasks I have to do. And even if you remove that kind of nine to five in location structure from it, people, it's still very easy to give people certain tasks to achieve. And, and that's what we found. Activity-based working is 
works really well for us and and but it's then enabling that conversation and collaboration and the extra bits that come and you know you you know from from what you've created with leapers that actually that sense of belonging and that sense of kind of kind of not only shared purpose but but having other people who understand where you're coming from and, and what you're dealing with um, is is really important to us as humans. And and as much as we could all go home and and continue to work, that doesn't necessarily mean that gives us the full experience that we actually need to to nurture us as humans and and kind of you know keep us on track and and keep us happy and engaged. This so often the focus can be on technology being the answer to some of these connection issues. You mentioned Slack and Teams. And I think often an organization will drop in a piece of tech and then just hope that the collaboration works. What's the missing piece in in connecting the technology to the the human element there, do you think? Yeah, I've had a few of these conversations recently. And and I think, you know, quite often we see technology as as the kind of the solution rather than the enabler. You know, Teams is great and it enables you and Slack is great and enables you to do that sharing, to have the conversations, to have the connections, to do the face-to-face stuff. But you have to have the reasons to do that before. And you know, I go right back to the the days of of Yammer when organizations were first trying social media for for internal comms and and a very large pharmaceutical company spent an awful lot of money rolling out Yammer for 52,000 users. And they did it as a systems implementation and then sat there and just said, why is no one using it? And somebody said, well, you need to start the conversation. They need a reason to use it. And it needs to, and yes, it's there, but actually if there is no conversation, if there's no freedom to share or no openness to, to contribute, then it's it's kind of irrelevant. And I think it's that, it's creating the safe space. You know, it's creating the space to that, that when you check in on your teams, if you're a leader in particular, you, know, you check in on your team, it's okay for them to say, you know what, I'm struggling today. I can't, it's all a bit much. I can't necessarily work. Here's where I need help and and not feel bad about it. And equally, if you are a leader, not feeling that you have to be on your A game every day because the pressures of, of trying to keep it all together, given the uncertainty that have come in the last few months is, is pretty strong sometimes. And, and and I think that's that's a shift we've seen in the last few months in as much as we all, you know, we all go on video calls and wear our pajamas from the waist down. It's that kind of, <laughs> that kind of relaxing, even, even the people who aren't wearing pajamas, quite often people who used to wear suits to keep up appearances, to go to an office every day yeah, are suddenly yeah. okay wearing a t-shirt and having yeah. a conversation as a human. And it doesn't matter if you're, if your son or daughter runs through or if the dog barks or, you know, if the doorbell rings and a package comes or, or anything like that, it's that kind of that gradual humanizing of, of work and kind of, kind of stripping it back to go, okay, well, what is important here? You know, what, what are these, what are these unwritten rules around kind of the constructs around the way we, we expect to behave and we expect others to behave at work in inverted commas. Um, and how do we, how do we adjust for that? And what, what are the parameters we need to maintain, i.e. good communication, getting work done, making sure everyone's able to do their best work? And actually, what's the unnecessary stuff, which is the the airs and graces, the putting on a suit, in not always, but you know, the the kind of the overdressing, the over the overstructured kind of expectations that, that don't really contribute to to getting work done or being able to do our best work. And I think we've seen a lot of that start to start to kind of fall down out of necessity. Um, and, and now it will be interesting to see as things start to come back online, whether whether they stay gone or whether they'll start kind of gradually creeping back in. What's your instinct? Do you, do you think that we'll return to the old-fashioned professionalism or a more relaxed 
human way of working when we go back to our physical workspaces? I've turned into a horrible cynic. So, so five, <laughs> five years ago, if you'd have asked me that question, I was a big believer in there was this amazing human future of work and mm. and all of this, you know, all of this stuff was coming and it was all going to be less formal. And we have seen that. And and you know, most organizations are far more considerate about individuals and their well-being and have removed some of that kind of that overbearing um authoritarian stuff. But there, there's a bit of me that's seen actually during this pandemic. A lot of the larger organizations have locked down. They've shut down a lot of their expenses to redirect expenditure back into into shareholder value for the end of the year. And you start realizing that as much as people have necessarily eroded some of the the business structure at the moment, I think once it all starts to come back online, particularly in the larger organizations, I think the old bad habits will just kind of kind of wind back up. And there's a lot of coverage that says we might be at this turning point. It will change the way we work forever. But I I have a hunch that the moment it's safe for everybody to go back to work, a lot of organizations will, maybe with a bit more freedom thrown in, expect everyone kind of back at, at location rather than saying, we trust you to be wherever you need to be to do your best work. And and let's let's work it out from there. The reality is that it's going to be a, a phased approach. I've been having conversations with people and you kind of see the realization uh, in their eyes or the penny drop when they just recognize they're probably not going to be returning to their office this year. Um, and, and many of the large organizations are um, looking at you know, whether it be phased returns or um, different pockets are working at different times. So maybe you're in on a Monday and another team's in on a, on a Tuesday. But a lot of the recommendations from government primarily seem to be around the physical distancing issues, you know, distance between people, um, hygiene. I haven't seen much around the recommendations of of the kind of emotional support structures which we need to put in place. Do you think that's a gap for businesses to consider? I think I think it's a big gap, but I also think there's this kind of bigger gap that yes, there is this kind of safety element of it, but also it's more about where can we individually and collectively do our best work. So so to go back to what you said, you see the large corporations have all said from a safety point of view, we're going to gradually bring people back into the office over X amount of months, or we're going to say you work on a Tuesday, you work on a Thursday, or come to come to the office or work location on those days. But actually, the interesting thing that's grabbed me, and I think this is where the natural focus comes more on the individuals and, and that kind of that personal um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with returning to a workplace and, and the commute when you still have all this kind of conflicting information about what's safe and what isn't. But actually, the companies that are really and the businesses that are really thinking about this are the kind of the medium the kind of the medium sized businesses who who are large enough to have a sizable team and have to consider these things, but but small enough to go. You know what? We don't have a twenty year lease on a on a twenty story office building. Do we really need? this kind of real estate expense and how can we think differently about the way we congregate and the way we come together and and whereas the original the initial talk was as soon as COVID-19 happened there was the work from home immediately and some companies started saying you know what we don't need to go to the office we don't need to go to a location we'll never go back and then gradually it started saying you know what actually we miss that connection with people we miss all being in the same place at the same time there's something productive about sharing ideas together um when we're when we're face to face and as much as it's good to have a zoom call 
we miss that in person. So even if we do not fully return to the office or we allow everybody to work as flexibly as they want to, there will still be a day once a week, once a month, once every two weeks where we bring everybody together for for that kind of to retain that connection to each other and to our kind of shared goal or the organization or brand or, or whatever it might be. So so I think there is that there's I think there's a lot of research that proves that that individual well-being contributes to productivity, creativity and that contributes to innovation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Allowing that conversation to flow and and focusing on how do we enable people to 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 be looked after? Yeah, you know, how do we we look at that anxiety? How do we kind of give people the time and space to readjust to the new world of work or, or to what they need individually. Um, I think that's really important. That will contribute to to productivity um, and allowing people to feel comfortable coming back to work, if not more than a big yellow sticker that says, stay two minutes away, uh, two meters away from the person next to you. Do you think the presenteeism uh, issue has, has gone away um, because we've demonstrated that actually teams can do their work when a manager isn't standing next to them or do you think that there's still a long way to go to uh kind of be able to measure whether somebody is being productive or not well, I th- I th- I'd like to think that the presenteeism thing has gone but I think that the main issue with presenteeism isn't necessarily with the worker it's it's quite often with, with the management structure because the management structure says if mm. you had a big night out last night you still have to be here at 9 a.m tomorrow regardless of if you've only had four hours sleep or if you have a hangover this is a terrible example but but you know you come to work at 9 a.m you force <laughs> yourself in you're not productive until 1 2 p.m then they get a few hours work out of you then sure. you leave at five however if you'd have been able to have the freedom to wake up and go you know what i can't go to work right now but you went in at yeah, midday, that's a couple of extra hours of productivity because you'll be product, productive as soon as you get to work and then you'll work until you, you feel like you've, you've got your work done. So I think it's this kind of misguided approach to say you must be at work at this time or you must be in a location for X number of hours per week. And although over time we're starting to see the shift towards activity-based working, workspaces designed for, for flexibility, um, I, it's, it's, I guess it's up to the employers to decide how far down that route we go. And my, my gut feeling, and I think the, the stats bear this out, is that people will be more productive if you allow them that flexibility to, to do work on, on their terms within the parameters of, of what your organization needs to achieve. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess time will tell what the employers decide to do as we, as we progress out of this. If, if we are in a world where we are meeting each other physically less frequently, um do you think that has a, a significant impact on collaboration and and working with others and and the way in which we collaborate I mean, I, I would say yes because as much as we have all of these collaboration tools and they're great and you know I can collaborate with people all over the world at any given time and we can work together on some cool stuff there's just something to be said for getting in a room with people with a couple of you know a couple of pens and some whiteboards and just kind of kind of the energy that flows between you that you can't quite replicate when you're in separate locations even if you're connected on a video call and using you know all kinds of different mm. apps that there are now to to enable that stuff there's just an, an mm. energy that that flows from in-person human connection and and i think that's that's something that, that, that there's no way to to recreate i guess it's so often the the small interactions which we miss like just being able to tap someone on the shoulder and go oh can you have a look at this rather than 
having to go through the rigmarole of booking in a time for a Zoom call and sharing your screen and getting the connection working and going through. And and a lot of work I've felt recently in the last couple of months feels so much more transactional than than allowing a sort of happy accident to happen you know there's there's none of this bumping into somebody in the corridor and saying oh actually yeah whilst you're here how's that thing or or overhearing a conversation and and do you think with the the digital tools are are lacking in that respect that they don't create these they're not spaces are they they're they're kind of news feeds or long lists of of text a lot of the time yeah and and i think and that's not, no fault of their own. I, but I think that is kind of part of what it is to be human. It is that kind of serendipity mm. that happens when when people come together. It's why an Instagram gig will never replace being in in the front row at, at a festival, or you know, kind of yeah. kind of being being in that pub the first time a new artist who then turns into the next big thing plays, or yeah. or kind of you know bumping yeah. into someone you're going to going to buy a drink and bumping into someone that you then become firm friends with, even though you've never met before because you just happen to launch into conversation over, over some kind of shared moment of, or some kind of inspirational spark that, that just came from that in-person interaction. And I don't think we'll ever be able to completely digitize that experience um, because it kind of is, is what it is to be human. We're social animals and, and we thrive on yeah. that, that kind of interaction and that, that fuels us. It's not an objective, is it, really? It's not something that we, we should want to aim for, I guess. No, I mean, what, you know, we're, why would we want to live completely in, in isolation? And you know, there's loads of these dystopian novels and that have kind of people living in pods connected by tubes. And, you know, actually, is that, is that where we want to go? Do we want our only connection to be the internet? Um, but, and and we don't go out and and in, in as much as you know now we can we can hop on a on an exercise bike and cycle across Europe using yeah. using a video app is yeah. a place hopping on a real bike and cycling across Europe um in terms of the experience you receive and and the way you you feel that interaction you know photo isn't a good replacement for for experiencing something in person because of the nuance that you see when you actually experience it and i think that's the same as as that that kind of digital versus in person interaction and collaboration, you can't ever replace that. Does that shine a light on a kind of new and more significant role for co working spaces? Then are they going to come out of this actually with a renewed role and even more of a significant place in in work culture? Yeah, I, I think that there's two things. I think co working is an interesting one. I talked to a few people in the last few weeks who even though they have jobs and they work for companies, they they want somewhere to go. So as soon as co-working spaces start opening, even though the company they work for may not allow them back until January, they're ready to go and, and have a location. And and I think that's that's one part of it. But I think also, you know, people do like having somewhere to go and somewhere somewhere to belong. And it doesn't necessarily need to be your company's office. It needs to be somewhere where you have a connection with other people. And I've done plenty of work in, in co-working spaces over the years and and just going there and, and talking to people who, even if they work for a completely different company, you always find something to, to talk about that inspires you. And it's it's that level of contact. And I think the other side of it, and actually I've literally just finished doing a survey on this um, and I'm just writing up the results right now on the way people will use offices post COVID-19 and there is this this kind of movement that says we want a space to go to we don't want it all the time but we need somewhere to go and congregate when we need it and we need it to then not be an overhead when we don't need it and and I think you know co-working spaces and and this kind of middle ground where you know quite often companies will hire an insipid meeting room or a hotel conference room to 
to to do to do a kind of meeting or, or a get together. I think there's there's a room for a, a kind of more creative, collaborative space that that you know can be used on that kind of higher per day basis, just to to go and be somewhere collectively and, and get that inspiration and get that connection and then go away again. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think the co- the future of co working um, is is pretty pretty rosy. How it will come back when you know everybody has to stay two meters from each other um, to start with is yeah, as a business model, that's that's going to be challenging. But I think you know those who can weather the storm um, are, are, are going to be in a good place. I think they have a lot to offer the the future shifting preferences for for work. What, what about those people who who aren't a member of a team um, but still want to try and get that connection? You know, freelancers, for instance. Do, does this new kind of modern? Not even I don't know. We need a new word. It's not even an office or a workspace. It's like a work, just you know, set of environments, ecosystem, perhaps. You know, what about those individuals who previously were just kind of stationed on their own anyway? Um, if there are less offices um, for them to often, you know, go and spend time with their clients, for instance, does that have a a knock on impact on those individuals who who don't necessarily have a space or a team to work next to? I mean, I think for for me, that's kind of the the benefit of of well, physical spaces like a co working space. I mean, when I first went went out on my own, I I used to I used to work out of, out of a WeWork, and yeah, you know, I've worked at other co working locations um, that are quite a lot of them either better or equally as good. Um, but but the particular thing I liked about WeWork at the time was that I didn't have one of those kind of spaces where you shut the door. I just rented a, a hot desk in. The main area so I could wander in there would always be someone to say hi to I felt part of the community there were events to engage me and make sure that I met other people and you actually felt part of something which is something you miss kind of quite often as a freelancer particularly now if you're less engaged in going to your client locations but then equally I think that sense of community is you know with something like leapers that that's what that's what we crave because you know when we are freelancers or or even if in small teams we kind of need that connection to some kind of community and if it's not you know the the organization that we work for and it's not the clients that we work for then actually what is it what's that shared interest that keeps us engaged and 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 kind of connected to other people to 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 get that that emotional support, that resilience, that that kind of let off steam that that is actually what a lot of people have missed while being in lockdown because they haven't been mixing with with their let's call it their community and and I think increasingly you look at organizational teams as communities but then that that creates a far more flexible approach to, to what that means you know your community can be the organization you work for the brand that you 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 kind of congregate around but it could also be where you congregate you might be a developer so you work with other developers you can go and mix with them there, there'll be some social events you might go to a co-working space where there's that kind of shared interest. Um, so I think there's a lot of options for, for creating that that sense of community and where we congregate. But what I think we'll see is a shift in who we congregate with, how we do. And, and it may be that the company we specifically work for won't be our overall personal, social, everything identity, professional. Actually, it may be a series of, of smaller communities that that we kind of get that those different needs from. I want to return to something you said about whilst we've been in lockdown those zoom calls where we hear the postman knocking on the front door in the background or a kid jumps up on the lap and takes part probably having better ideas than the most of the people on the call do you think that this 
kind of erosion between home life and work life is is a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing because I think, you know, as individuals, we should be able to to have the freedom to find our own balance. And if finding our own balance means we want to go to work and be strict about it, great. But if we have the freedom to, to not do that and that suits us, then, then great. I mean, I'm sure you probably heard Skype went off about three times and completely sidetracked me while I was on, <laughs> on one of my rambles a minute ago. And that was my friend Rich checking in. But he's, you know, he works for himself. He's doing what he does. It's, what is it, four o'clock now. He's, he's doing his afternoon check-in to let me know how his day's gone. And I'll give him a bit of moral support. He'll give me some. And, and we kind of bounce off each other. And, and that's something really nice to, to do. And that's a really real blurring of the, the work and home. But equally, you know, like you said, if, if, a, if there's a delivery coming and I'm working from home or I'm able to work from home, I don't have to worry about where's that delivery going to be left? Am I going to have to rearrange it? Do I have to organize kind of time off? And so I think that kind of blurring of the lines on your own terms that enables you to do your best work is a, is a really great thing. But obviously, you, you have to do that work. You have to be able to contribute to your clients, to the organization you work for. And, and if it prevents you doing that, then actually, you have to kind of take responsibility for, for that structure. And I think it's that it's that shift of moving from your employers or your clients saying, this is how you are going to work. We're going to tell you how you work. You have to fit into that, to actually being responsible and objective enough to say, this is how I work best. How do I build around that? And you know, there are people who find they have zero self-discipline, so they can't work from home because they just they get sidetracked and, and they don't do it. But equally, having that flexibility to say, you know what, today, first hour of the day, I'm not feeling productive, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna relax and not get stressed about it. I think that's a good thing. But it, but it's a, it's a very individual thing. Those of us who who reject the idea of oh, I'm not gonna work for the man and I'm gonna do my own thing. Um, are still a minority. Uh, the majority of us are still in those more traditional job, job style control and command type models. Even if the organisation is is relatively, you know, supportive and, and flat hierarchy and so on, but they do spoon feed you with a, a lot of things that you don't have to worry about, like you know, legal protection or contracts or training and development and learning and and uh, going on events and you know space to, all all these kind of things that actually if if you don't have them given to you there's a whole lot of additional tasks which you have to think about i was reading the um article about i think it was google who are giving all of their home working employees a bursary to invest on things like furniture so they have a, a decent working environment what what do you think is the responsibility there? Is there a shift that the employer takes less of a responsibility towards some of those things and, and the individual takes on some of the responsibility to say, oh, no, actually, I have to look after my own mental health and physical health whilst I'm working. Is, is, there, a, is there a worrying blurring there of, of responsibility being kind of given up a little? I don't, I don't know if you know the, the social media scheduling tool Buffer. So as a company, a number of years ago now, they closed all their offices and they had you know 100 plus workforce entirely working remotely around the world. So they did all of this. How do we stay connected? They do, they do a number of times a year. They get the entire team together in one location in the world and, and do training and development as well as parties and socials. Um, but they're kind of, you know, and they're very transparent on their salaries and, and all of this stuff. But, but the thing I like most is their, their approach is tell us what you need to do your best work and we'll get it for you. If you need a laptop, we'll get you a laptop. If you need a chair, we'll get you a chair. But if you don't, fine. And I, I really kind of like that because it's the company saying we're here to support you and we trust you. 
But equally, it's then on the individual to go, well, the responsibility is on you to now take that support and set yourself up to do a great job. So actually, you, you can't then use the excuse of saying, well, I'm not supported by my employer. I don't have this to do my job. I don't have that. Actually, it's on you to do a great job because you've got access to everything you need, which is you know, both an opportunity, but also a level of accountability that a lot of people aren't necessarily used to because they're used to being being told this is what you get this is your your kind of and going back to that spoon feeding this is the this is the training you have um and and, yeah there's a number of companies now that just say we will give you a training and development bursary every year you work out how best to spend that and if you want to go to and blow it all on going to one conference that may seem completely unrelated then then do that but you need to justify how that's kind of enabled you to to do your job and 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 helps you to develop within your role. And, and I think that's a, a great shift. But most of us have, particularly those of us who, who are, you know, been in the workplace for a number of years now, we're not necessarily used to having that, that kind of responsibility because we're just told, oh, it's time for your mandatory training. This is where you sit. This is the equipment you get. And and it, it's, it's quite exciting. I, f- I found it interesting when, you know, maybe two or three years ago when flexible work and, and remote work were getting quite zeitgeisty for, for a lot of organizations. Um, and there was no shortage of businesses saying, right, okay, you know, what do you want your remote work schedule to be? And there were just so many <laughs> blank faces because like, well, hold on. I've, I've my entire career, I've done nine to five Monday to Friday. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Fridays maybe. Um, and, and there are examples of a couple of, of businesses where everybody just took Friday afternoon off or was working from home and they were saying, right, remote working doesn't work for us. Um, you, you've all got to turn up because we want that Friday feeling. Um, I think obviously a huge irony in the fact that the Friday feeling is 99% of, I can't wait to get out of here. But you know, that, that aside, um, the, the, the idea of like, oh, remote doesn't work for us or flexible doesn't work for us because of the one model which they tried. Is there a risk that, you know, people uh, are going through enforced working from home at the moment, finding it hugely difficult because, yeah, maybe the they're with a partner and they're also working and doing Zoom calls and they've got kids around or or they're completely on their own and they don't have anybody to talk to and everything between those things, that they come out of this and actually going, Oh, this the remote working doesn't work for me. Working from home just doesn't work for me, and this has has kind of tarred the experience for them. Even thinking about anything beyond the the traditional nine to five, Monday to Friday. I I think it's the same as anything. When you're in that kind of early adopter transition phase, you know, if if you're one of the first who's who's going to to work from home and working remotely or, or doing this or something else, but the rest of society is still working nine to five. They're leaving home in the morning. They're coming back at night. They're working Monday to Friday. Then actually, you know, the, the the services, the social life, nothing else is kind of set up around that that remote and flexible working capability and schedule. Mm. So it's, it's really hard to then break out of that. Well, work time is nine to five, Monday to Friday, because if I want to go for, for a drink, then people are going to the pub after work on Friday or, you know, the the place I need to to buy something or, or I need to get something is only open around times that, that suit the, the standard working day. So so I think it's it's that kind of that early stage until everybody is working really flexibly, then then you know the the peripheral stuff won't change. Um so so yeah you kind of it's it's that kind of square peg round hole kind of thing that that 
when you're the outlier, if you're the remote or flexible worker, you do tend to to have that kind of FOMO because everybody else is still doing the stuff in that in that traditional traditional routine. So it's really hard not to just fall back into that or adopt that as your your standard way of doing it, even when you have the freedom. Now, I know in a previous role, Andy, you worked with organizations uh, that were going through change a lot of the time from physical environment changes. Um, based upon the experience of, of helping people literally move from one space to another in a different kind of headspace and, and, and mind space, um, what would you say are the main key pieces of advice for organizations to give to their employees or even for their, for their own uh, teams? of what, as they're going through change, what are the most important things that they need to be considering? Absolutely. I, th- I think there's some really important stuff. I think traditional change management was always kind of, here's your information about the change. This is what is happening to you. Now go and get on with it. But I think increasingly, <laughs> we're kind of realizing that there's humans involved here. We're creatures of habit. You know, we we get anxious. We have emotions. Actually, when things are changing, there's a level of uncertainty. And we need to be guided through that change as to how it affects us, how it affects our relationships with the people we work with or or the way we work, or, or all of these things. And I think it's about passing ownership over to those people so they can they can own that change, not just saying this is happening to you, but just saying, here's what's going to happen. What do you need in order to make that adjustment? How can we support you? How can you support other people? And mm-hmm. kind of kind of pushing pushing that kind of allowing people to say this is what we need, but then allowing them to to help each other through it. And it's it's about much more than that kind of just the shift it's about taking people along for that that wholly kind of engaged journey where they feel by the end of it by the time you know six months into this change actually you know what this is this is my version of it i i adapted to this but i was allowed to adapt in my way um and and i and i think that's really important it's about so much more than just saying look the world's changed this is how we're going to do it from now on and and although that is still the easiest way for organizations to deal with any change i mean particularly when 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 lockdown happened nobody had any notice at that point it was literally right change has happened we're all working from home as of today um but but you know that we it's been well documented the kind of the levels of anxiety and and the mental health aspects of of people suddenly being locked down and that's because there was no time for that adjustment or no time for people to really get on and go for the ride they just had to make that change and then the adjustment happened after the change had occurred but giving people a lead in allowing them to kind of own that change and feel part of it means that by the time the change happens it's a much more gradual adopted um adopted thing rather than just this has happened deal with it and i think change often is seen as a a point in time we're moving from this to that as opposed to a continuum is there a, a benefit in organizations just embracing continual change and, and a bit more reflexivity in in how they work i mean a hundred percent because nobody nobody saw this coming you know a year ago nobody's 10 12 years ago nobody saw the iphone completely changing or smartphones completely changing the way we we all live and work there, there's always something coming that we're not necessarily prepared for and mm. and yeah and any change you know, you you may you may go and rebuild your entire office for for 2 meter social distancing you may rebuild your entire office for flexible working but something may happen 2 years down the line a piece of technology happens i mean look at look at when a lot of places went from from wired to wireless internet and all of a sudden you could pick up a laptop and you could work over that side of the room because you didn't need to be need to be plugged in and and all of these things change the way we can work change the way we interact change all of these these different 
options. And so, so change is constant. You might finish one change project, which is whether it's adopting a new IT system, whether it's changing the way you work or allowing people to, to be more flexible. But then that that in itself will refine itself. What what flexible working looks like right now compared to what it looked like five years ago is different because technology has moved on. The world has moved on. And I always just say, if until the world stops turning, you know, change change is constant. The only thing we know is that there will be change because nothing stays the same. And and the minute you stop and just assume, right, we finished that change, that's us done. That's when it when it will bite you because the world will move on whether you do or not. And I want to change tack a little bit, Andy, and, and ask you about the experiment which you undertook in your own work um, a few years ago. Can you tell us about <laughs> briefly the journey you went on and uh, what? Yeah, what and why, Andy? Yeah, so I mean, I guess I kind of hit my early to mid thirties as a you know I I tried various different careers, none had really fulfilled me. I didn't like the standard ways of working. I always felt there was something something more, and mm. and I I just had, I had a fateful conversation with a guy um, at a barbecue one day, um, and he he'd just been made a manager in his job. Uh, he'd been in his job for 10 years. And when I congratulated him, he said, no, I hate it. I hate the company I work for. I hate my boss. I hate everything about it. And I was like, you've been going there for a decade and you're still going. Why do you do it? And his, his reply to me, and yeah, this is like five, six years ago now. And, his, and it still stays with me. He said, I, do, I go to work for the same reason everybody else does. And that's to pay for the time I'm not there. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. a real shame because you spend so much of your time at work. And then I kind of realized that that's what I'd been doing. I'd been bouncing from different things, but I'd never really found something that I was passionate about. Um, and so it was just, it was a stage in my life where there was a lot of compromise and frustration and I really needed to kind of kind of work it all out. So I embarked on something I called the work project um, at the time. And I basically I had enough for one month of survival in the bank. Uh, I also have four kids Um Enough for one month's survival in the bank. Um, and so I removed myself from all forms of standard employment and gave myself one year to experiment and find an alternative way to make a living. So for a year, I did a lot of different types of work. I worked in a dairy. I was an art courier. I ended up as an extra on Downton Abbey just to try and understand the relationship between people and organizations and work. And, and there kind of came a point where I could have monetized that whole project but what I really wanted to do was get to the end of that 12 months and go back to that guy at the barbecue and go, look, there's an alternative way you can create a living. And had I made money from a blog, I couldn't go back to him and go, look, just make money from a blog talking <laughs> about work. So, so I kind of had to ignore all of that stuff. But as a result, that's kind of what led me down that organizational change path and design thinking and, and all of these things. And I think that's how we met in the first place. Um, but, but yeah, it was, but it was this kind of this eye-opening journey of realization that actually not only was my relationship with work broken for various factors, but my perception of myself and what I was allowing myself to think I was capable of and what doors I just assumed had been closed for years. It's just that I hadn't tried them. And actually then as a knock-on effect, my whole personal circumstances and all of the the kind of the structures of life that have been put in place over you know, 10, 15 years in work of just compromising and and doing what everyone else was doing, it just kind of tore all that apart and so so kind of literally the work project finished after a year but that was really where the adventure started because that was where I kind of started to piece back together and go okay I've given myself this freedom and I've kind of proved that that I can go out and follow what I want to do and still provide for my family so 
I kind of, yeah, went on this crazy adventure and, and tried things and a lot of them have messed up and, you know, and it, but it's, it's crazy exciting. And I know I'm, I'm alive at all times. Um, yeah. When and you say they're messed up was, what did you have some sense of, uh, right or wrong, or this is working or, or not working, or was that not the aim? It wasn't a, it wasn't an experiment to see what you wanted to do, but rather, how you could try other things i guess yeah I, I guess a combination of both but i mean even now you know the last the last 18 months to two years i you know i, I ended up doing some freelance work i got a chance to write a book i was i had a part-time job for a while and all of these things were great and then i realized well maybe i want to do something more than just be a freelancer and so so i decided to, to build a company and then you know two years later it's like even now I sit here going you know we, we've got an amazing company we've got an office in Atlanta we've got an office in the UK we're doing some crazy exciting stuff I don't know if we're going to be out of business in the next two weeks because because of the way the world has suddenly turned and and it's chaos and it's not for the faint-hearted but you know what I kind of realized during the experiment was that's how I live you know I have ideas I try them if they don't work you know you, you have this that design thinking thing you know you you move on but could most people work like that no but if there's one thing i learned about myself it's that's that's how i work and to be true to myself i kind of have to follow those those instincts um and yeah and some some things go well some things some things don't another and what i found really interesting is things that i thought about doing at the start of that project or even earlier and now kind of five years later coming back around and going oh we could do that now because I've gained that experience to understand how I could make that happen and I think that's that's really that's really interesting all the ideas that I've kind of gained over over nearly 20 years in the workplace now none of them even the ones that at the time have seemed like a complete failure none of them have been because they've all educated something that I do now you know I used to work in the NHS and and I put that experience into play now I used to have be part of my family recruitment company. Stuff I did, you know, ten years ago there is now skills that I that I have. And and even when I was at university, you know, I, I thought I'd never use my degree. I did something called population studies, which was statistics, social policy, demographics, and sociology all, all put together. And I got through it and never thought I'd use it again. But right now, in the kind of some of the consumer research work that I do, that's that's all coming into play. So it's it's kind of really interesting that you you really put into perspective how all of your your personal experience gained, even at times when you thought things were going really badly wrong or you were going down a path that that wasn't the path for you. Actually, it all contributes to, to where you're going next. Um, yeah, and it's quite exciting. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate your thoughts and your, your wisdom and uh, hopefully see you soon. Absolutely. Fingers crossed in person <laughs> once we get back out into the world. This was No More Water Cooler, a podcast from Leapers, supporting the mental health of the self-employed. If you're looking for a community of peer support, tangible resources and content that helps, or just fancy a cup of coffee with a friendly group of people, join the team for people without a team at www.leapers.co or search Leapers Community. Our production assistant is Stephanie Resort. Our title music was composed by Matt Dobson and I'm Matthew Knight. And until next week, work well.